Welcome to Suspending the Rules, Bloomberg Government's weekly look at what's happening in Congress. Things are pretty laid back around Capitol Hill this week as we enter the second half of the two-week April recess. We're going to roll with that theme on this episode, which, coming on the heels of 420 this past weekend, will focus on the subject of marijuana. This is Suspending the Rules from Bloomberg Government. I'm Adam Taylor. And I'm Adam Shank. The debate over marijuana legalization has bubbled into several different areas, from taxation and banking to health care and veterans affairs. We'll be digging into all of them on this episode. To help us with that, we've got a couple of fellow members of the BGov Legislative Analyst team with us in the studio today, Sarah Babbage and Michael Smallberg. Hey, guys. Hello. Just by way of background, uh, Michael, marijuana is regulated at the federal level under the Controlled Substances Act. Can you walk us through a little bit of that just so we have a a baseline? That's right. So the Controlled Substances Act uh, was signed by President Nixon in 1970, uh, and it basically lists marijuana under what's called Schedule 1, which means that the federal government believes marijuana has uh, no currently accepted medical use uh, and a high potential for abuse. So that means that at the federal level, there are criminal penalties uh, for growing, selling, and uh, possessing pot. Now, this is split up a little bit. The federal government tends to focus a little bit more on um, trafficking and distribution, whereas state uh, law enforcement usually handles um, arrests for possession. Uh, But there have been some shifts uh, in various administrations in terms of how they actually enforce this federal ban. Uh, During Barack Obama's administration, the Justice Department basically said they were going to focus their resources on certain high-priority enforcement areas. So, for example, um, selling to minors or growing marijuana on uh, federal land. Um, but they said as long as you know um, cannabis companies are, are complying with a well-regulated state program, they would basically you know uh, leave those kind of activities alone. So there have been some shifts over the years. Uh, former Attorney General Jeff Sessions basically rescinded that Obama-era guidance. Uh, but since he's left, President Trump has basically said he's going to leave it to states uh, to set their own rules. So other drugs on the uh, on Schedule 1 include LSD and MDMA. Cocaine is, I think, Schedule 2 because it's got uh, habit-forming properties. Um, the Justice Department has authority to reschedule drugs like marijuana to move it to another schedule or, or take it off entirely. And it, it seems like there's a constantly a petition pending somewhere in the process to, to get the Justice Department to do that. They've... Uh, They've decided not to recently. There's a petition out now because the World Health Organization uh, is seeking information on on treaties that that deal with marijuana and potentially international relaxation of of these laws. So there's a lot of besides the the bills we're going to talk about in this episode, there are some other mechanisms for descheduling or relaxing marijuana laws. And it's um, they're all kind of at various stages in the process. Right. And one thing I would add to that is you talk about um, sort of the the drug or version of cannabis or marijuana, but um, Congress recently enacted legislation and, and Majority Leader Mitch McConnell in the Senate was a, a big proponent of legalizing industrial hemp. And that, that's been a big deal to sort of maybe some people would argue is the first step down that path towards legalization. But there are a lot of sort of gatekeepers along the way. And as we get into some of the 
the more uh, more detailed legislation, we'll, we'll talk about those those folks a little bit more. Um, but the one thing is that states have started to take increasingly aggressive steps um, to relax uh, laws restricting marijuana use within their borders. Obviously, Colorado is the the biggest example at, at this point in time. Um, you know, it starts with medical use, um, and then decriminalization and legalized recreational use. And and you can see, I think, Michael, it's forty six states or something have have programs. Yeah. Um, so there are, as you said, there are um, different types of cannabis programs. Um, in the more than 30 states, voters have approved at least some sort of medical use. Um, that can range from letting patients actually access a wide range of uh, marijuana and cannabis products to more limited programs uh, where people can basically use um, things like CBD oil or, or products with a, a low volume of, of THC, which is the psychoactive substance in cannabis. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, um, I believe it's 10 states plus the District of Columbia, uh, those voters have approved um, recreational use uh, of cannabis. So this has set up a, a big clash between um, the federal government, where that ban is still in effect, uh, and states which have now, um, which have now for the large, you know, by and large legalized uh, marijuana in, in one fashion or another. And there are a lot of bills pending in Congress right now to protect those state policies from federal interference. Uh, less in the district where uh, an appropriations writer prevents D.C. from implementing their recreational regulations. So marijuana is kind of in this weird limbo space in D.C. Uh, for, for other states, probably the best known bill uh, is sponsored by Elizabeth Warren and Cory Gardner in the Senate and Earl Blumenauer in the uh, in the House and I'd expect Blumenauer's name is going to come up quite a few times on this episode. That would block federal enforcement of marijuana laws against anyone who's in compliance with state or tribal laws. And it would declare that any money made from selling marijuana is not ill-gotten gains, is not the proceeds of an illegal transaction. And it clears that money to go into the financial system, essentially, without being um, liable for for money laundering or uh, other related financial laws. Blumenauer also sponsored a bill in the House uh, that's sponsored by Ron Wyden in the Senate that would transfer marijuana regulatory responsibility to the states. It would um, eliminate federal penalties under the the Controlled Substances Act for marijuana. Um, And so basically states would be in charge of whatever they they want the policy to be. It would also set up uh, a process to expunge marijuana-related convictions. So it would look backward as well as forward. There are also bills to direct DOJ not to prosecute marijuana offenses that don't also violate state law or block federal funding from being used in those cases. Um, There's another approach that would just declare that the CSA does not preempt state laws, so it would essentially put state laws above the CSA uh, when it comes to marijuana and potentially other drugs as well. Um, there are some other bills that would protect federal employees or, or job applicants if they test positive for marijuana as part of a, a screening program if yeah, they live in a state that where it's legal. Yeah, and one thing I would add to that as well is in that bill there's a number of or there's a provision that would also protect students who have a minor possession conviction from being then declared ineligible for federal student aid. Um, but one thing I do want to walk back as we talked about, you know, the banking sector and and as these businesses expand, um, you know, they they are going to need, you know, presumably need access to the financial system. Um, and and the thing that's sort of strange about this issue in particular is that there seems to be like fairly widespread agreement that you know legalization is sort of in the mail. It's going to happen, and and 
because you have some opponents of legalization in very powerful positions, both in the House and Senate, that actually makes smaller bills more likely to pass versus a larger sort of marijuana omnibus bill, for lack of a better term. Um, and I would kick it to you, Sarah, because, you know, part of this is, you know, not only access to the banking system, but but also like, how do you tax marijuana? And what does that look like? Do you want to give us a little overview on that? Yeah, it's tricky right now, because even though these companies are um, operating in accordance with um, their state law, they're still considered to be um, a business that's working on something that's illegal at the federal level. And oddly, uh, you have to pay tax on your illegal activities. So uh, they still have to pay taxes. Um, and they actually are barred from taking most business credits and deductions for anything associated with the actual production of marijuana. And that means that they end up paying a really high effective tax rate. Um, basically, in the early 1980s, the U.S. tax court ruled that a drug dealer could deduct their production costs, and Congress thought that was a little bit outrageous and barred um, companies that uh, traffic in illegal drugs from uh, using credits and deductions, and now um, com marijuana companies um, can pay effective tax rates of 70% or more, and that's compared to the corporate income tax rate, which is 21%, so really um, high taxes. So there are a few bills in Congress, um, including from um, Blumenauer and Wyden, as we've mentioned, that would address this. Um, another thing that Congress might want to tackle is um, helping marijuana businesses, um, well, as access the banking system, as you mentioned. Um, and one benefit of that would be that they could pay their taxes by like e-filing instead of sending actual bags of cash to IRS offices. I think that's worth repeating. They have to pay their taxes in in person with physical currency. Right, because they're limited from accessing the banking system right now, which maybe Michael can talk more about. But that means that, you know, like they have to physically bring cash to pay their taxes. So if they want to comply with the laws, it's, it's pretty difficult. Yeah, th this is a huge problem. These um, cannabis businesses do have to <clears throat> conduct most of their transactions in cash. Um, the, the issue there is that because that federal ban is still in effect, a lot of federally regulated banks uh, can still face penalties if they uh, accept deposits from um, cannabis uh, businesses. Uh, and they're also required to flag certain um, suspicious transactions um, from, from a, a marijuana business. So there are bills um, that have been introduced that would basically say that as long as um, a bank or a credit union uh, is doing business with a state-approved cannabis company, um, federal regulators can't take certain enforcement actions like limiting um, the bank's access to deposit insurance or preventing it from getting uh, a new charter. Uh, and again, the issue here is that a lot of these cannabis businesses, because they can't open a, you know, a bank account, it means that they can't write checks to their employees, uh, they can't uh, accept payments through credit cards, they're often a soft tar target for robberies because they are um, just sitting on piles of cash. Uh, within their business. Um, so this bill um, would affect not just, you know, uh, cannabis growers and dispensaries, um, but also, you know, uh, real estate owners and, and lawyers and accountants that work with those companies. Um, and it would also affect, you know, payment processors uh, such as PayPal, uh, which as our colleagues at Bloomberg Law reported, uh, is one of the many companies that is lobbying uh, on this measure. So let's switch gears here, um, and instead of talking about the sort of financial aspect, talk about some of the other issues that have, have cropped up with this. 
um, in terms of medical research, and there's a lot of stuff going on with veterans groups who, who have said that marijuana can help treat PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder symptoms and, and a number of other things. Um, talk about that a little bit, Michael. Yeah, so, uh, you know, on the medical research side, um, there are a number of bills that would basically um, require the FDA um, to approve other manufacturers to grow cannabis for medical research and to increase the supply of high-quality cannabis um, for that research. Th there is a, a longstanding appropriations rider um, that basically blocks the federal government from, um, from cracking down on state-approved medical programs, um, but a lot of advocates say there is still a lack of supply um, of high-grade cannabis to be used for medical research. Uh, and when you're looking at veterans, you know, um, one survey said that about one in five veterans do use marijuana to alleviate some sort of um, physical or, or, or uh, a mental symptom. Uh, many veterans uh, smoke pot to alleviate um, post-traumatic stress disorder or chronic pain. Uh, but again, because of that federal ban, doctors within the Veterans Affairs Department um, cannot recommend or, or prescribe marijuana. And this uh, gets to uh, one of the interesting kind of contradictions in marijuana law. It's under Schedule One, which by statute does has no accepted medical use. And part of the reason there's no accepted medical use is because there's been no federally accepted research on it because it's been Schedule One. It's kind of this catch-22. Meanwhile veterans and, and other groups are finding medical uses in many states. The first step of legalization was medical marijuana. So it's this interesting tension in, in the debate that I think is one of the reasons it feels like the momentum is moving very quickly toward full legalization or at least decriminalization. Yeah, so to begin to resolve that tension, um, there are some bills that have been introduced this Congress uh, that would do everything from providing a safe harbor um, to to uh, veterans who, who use marijuana and to doctors within the VA system who prescribe it. Um, and that would range you know, from those kind of measures to other bills that would at least require the VA to conduct more um, clinical trials um, or studies of the use of uh, marijuana for medical purposes by veterans. Uh, moving to a more broad federal decriminalization, there are bills to do that. And um, they spend a lot of their, their language on the tax system that would be set up in the regulatory system, which, Sarah, would look a lot like the alcohol system. It, it would. I think the fullest example that we've seen is from um, the Blumenauer and Winan bill, and um, that tackles some of the questions that arise on the question of taxation. Um, how do you set a price that encourages or a tax that encourages people to buy legally instead of off the black market, uh, but isn't um, so it's low enough that to do that, but also not um, so low that it's going to uh, encourage overconsumption. And how do you set up a tax that's easy to implement and fair for um, prices that can vary across the country for the product? So. The uh, tax system that they went with would start off for the first few years as a percent of the sale price, and then it would transition to a price based on weight, which would be a little more fair for prices that can vary from across the country. And it would be on the um, producer, so it's a little easier to implement. And they'd all have to be licensed by the Treasury Department. Um so they could actually get the, the, the Treasury Department would collect the taxes directly from them, I think, at the, the front end, and then the system would just go downstream, right? Yeah, and they would have to operate um, legally under state law still. So 
that's the that's the system that they proposed, and uh, we don't really know how much revenue a tax like that would collect because um, it really varies based by consumption. And what we've seen so far is that as states legalize recreational marijuana, there has been an uptick. So now almost 10% of Americans report using marijuana in the last month. Uh, and that's been ticking up since 2012 when Colorado and marijuana uh, and Washington legalized recreational marijuana. Um, the Tax Foundation, which is a Washington, D.C.-based think tank, estimated that a 10% sales tax could generate $5.3 billion annually. But um, as, I, as I mentioned, it's, it's so hard to say. Um, but it could be a pretty big new source of revenue for the federal government. And certainly states that have legalized it have seen um, a good new revenue stream as well. Yeah, I know some states have been having trouble trying to find that balance you talked about where they, they set the taxes actually a little too high and they're not capturing as much of the illegal market as they, they wanted to. And so a lot of it, the consumption of marijuana is still going on illegally, essentially. Right. I could imagine the um, tax system having to be tinkered with um, to, to get it to the right level uh, since there's so many things to consider. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Bloomberg government subscribers can find more coverage of the legalization debate, including an on-point briefing presentation from the legislative analysts at BGov.com. That's our show. We'll talk to you again next week when Congress comes back to town. Thank you for listening to Suspending the Rules. Be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Find more on the subjects we discussed today and a whole lot more from Bloomberg Government at about.begov.com. You can also follow us on Twitter at BGov. The legislative analyst team is Sarah Babbage, Noreen Chowdhury, Danielle Parnas, Michael Smallberg, and me, Adam Taylor. Our editor is Adam Shank. Nico Anzalata is our sound engineer. Our theme music is Home Organ by Zach Nasita. More information on that can be found at premiumbeat.com.